to the Subjective Comedy Podcast with Brad Scott. Brad Scott is a mediocre comedian from Indianapolis. This is his show. If you don't think it's funny, remember, comedy is subjective. We're downloading the premiere episode of The Showdown. And uh, we... The Showdown! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we yeah, thank you. Afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is another episode of WrestleMania, your father's favorite podcast, and your mom hates it. The My Way Podcast with Brad and Corey. Welcome to the sequel machine. The Brad Scott experience. Brad Scott's redemption. Brad Scott live. Subjective comedy starts right now. Do me a favor. If you do, if you guys do want to hit the script, of course, tonight, just be careful. Don't upset. You wouldn't like this. Please. Oh, I wouldn't. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's because that's that Bruce Banner. So how the hell is everything? Good, man. Real good. Um... Yeah, I mean, I'm doing, I mean, I'm partially doing Sober January, uh, like... Oh, I yeah, wanna... you're taking a break, right? Yeah, so I was, uh, I mean, I do Sober January every year anyway from booze, just because I, I, like, I, I buy into it. I like feeling like a different person. I know it's not going to last the year. I know it's not going to change who I am, but I, I, I like the, you know, the, the calm, I'm in control start to the fucking year. But the problem is... Uh, at the end of my ex tour, my present to my brothers at Christmas in 2019 was I was like, I'm going to take them to Amsterdam. And then obviously 2020 happened so uh, and COVID. So I, I just never got to to do that. So like three years later, literally, I'm in Amsterdam this weekend doing two shows. And I was like, well, I've got to take my brothers over. So I'm obviously breaking my no well, yeah, smoking weed. You're not thing. a monster. Yeah, so what I'll, is I'll let it bleed over into February and and stuff like that. Well, but yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a cop out when it comes to you probably jazz. need it, dude. Like I my one of my favorite things in the world. Uh, well, when you when you did the big U.S. tour a few years ago, was the people that uh would be like, that's water, in your cup. Oh, this cup's on stage. oh my fucking god. Like it's, it used to do my nine because I would because I mean now I mainly drink uh, whiskey on stage. That's my that's my poison. What? But I yeah 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 I love drinking whiskey. Same on stage volume. Uh, oh man, I yeah man, I drink heaps of fucking whiskey. Like I like if I'm having a fun show, like really enjoying myself, I will sometimes do half or three quarters of a bottle. Jesus uh, fucking Christ, man. Yeah. Like, dude, yeah. those cups were fucking cute. Like, that's why people assumed it was what If you would have had a well, no, rocks no, was, glass. So the old ones used to be fucking gin and tonics. So, so I would have two gin and tonics on stage, and they would both be doubles. And then I would have, like, two bottles of water there just for fucking show. And people would be like, why do you drink water out the glasses as opposed to the cups? And why don't you just top it up? And I'm like, do you fucking think I just sip? water on stage like some recovering alcoholic like, <laughs> like do you think i respect my audience so much that i'm like oh god i bet, oh, I bet clear fucking end this. no like they know what they're coming to see well and A piece of shit ranting and it was it was by far like i wouldn't call them gin and tonics i call them like gin and ton because it yeah. was it was by far a lot more gin yeah well I'm, it's always i've always had such a not a weird relationship with drinking on stage, but I remember when I started, like for me, 13, when I was, <laughs> uh, when I started comedy, I always remember like smoking on stage was so cool. When Stan Hope did it, Ed Byrne did it, Chappelle did it, Bill Hicks did it. Fucking, it was just, 
it looked so very cool because you could smoke in the club. Now, obviously, I belong to a fucking generation of comedians that cannot smoke in fucking clubs because you've not been allowed to smoke indoors since, like, 2013 in the UK. Which is fucking so insane. Yeah. It's no, the I mean, same it's way here. Def- it's, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely better. I, I understand. But, like, I always felt like I missed... Yeah, missed no, you're 100% right. It was, it was part uh, of, like, the ambiance, man. Yeah, but, but man, it's really hard to fucking time. So I have smoked on stage once because we were in uh, Bulgaria and Bulgaria does not have any fucking smoking laws because, you know, it's Bulgaria. <laughs> so I was like, you know what? I'm going to smoke on stage because I got it's really fucking hard, man. It's like an extra level of timing. It's, you know, it's pace because it's it's not like drinking where you say something, you fucking wet your throat, you swallow and that's it. You got to. You have a, you have a time, in. you have a window. Yeah. And it's and you and you can't <coughs> just like doing that like <coughs> holding it fucking in. Um, I used to drink cider on stage. Well, in fact, sorry to go back to the start. So, I never used to be able to drink on stage because I was so amped up and excited to be on stage and and so like nervous that if I fucking stopped talking, someone would heckle me. That was like when a comedian drinks on stage. I always seen it as you know it's taking ammunition out of the gun. It's reloading. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it, you're you're taking the weapon away, the power that you have. And when you've got that drink to your mouth, anyone in the audience can fucking say anything. On the plus side, now that I understand, drinking on stage exudes calmness, exudes I don't care. It's almost a fucking dare to the audience to say anything. But when I was 17 years old, I remember exactly where the fucking gig was. It was up in Dundee in a little fucking pub. I was playing to 30 people and I had a water on stage with me. And I got such a big laugh that I was able to take a drink of water. And it was such an achievement for me at the time. I was like seven gigs in. And I was like, oh my, oh my God, like I fucking drank. How cool. And then I was like, I would never drink alcohol on stage. And then eventually just got to the point where, you know, I'd do ciders. And my fucking agent, who I love dearly, but she's mental. She would complain when I drank ciders because I'd be like a bit fucking gassy and burpy. <laughs> um so she then was like, why don't you just do gin and tonics? And I was like, oh, I'll do that. And then I got drunker on gin and tonics. And I was like, hey, that's a lot more That's a lot more fun. That's a good agent, though. She didn't go with, uh, maybe you shouldn't drink on stage. She was like, let's find a, a better alcohol for your intestinal problems. My, well, my, my, my fucking manager learned very fucking early on. I think I was like uh, 20, 21. I think I just left my parents. I was living, I moved to my own place in Edinburgh. And I just, I mean, and my weed consumption went through the fucking roof. And I think one day she went, I think you should slow down on marijuana. <laughs> and I went, I don't, I don't get told to do fucking anyone by fucking, I don't get told to do anything by no one. And I just, I started smoking fucking heaps. And it's also this weird thing. Like I, I meet so many comedians, especially over here, because there's much less of a pot culture in the UK. But like, there's comedians over here who are like, man, I cannot imagine going on stage high. And I'm like, oh, I remember like early on the the fear of that, but I think that's also if you're just bad while you're high. Like if you're paranoid while high, you'll be paranoid on stage while high. Whereas if you get to the stage of marijuana consumption where you become yourself, then being stoned on stage is fine. It gives you. Um, it also makes me sillier, and 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 in in the sense that you know instead of being so rigid in in the language that I use on stage and being so fucking structured in the way that I think a joke should be told, I slow down a bit because I guess the paranoia adds to the thing of oh god sh- I shouldn't be talking this fast or oh god I'm worried I might miss something out. So in a way, it kind of gets me to focus a little bit more. Um, I find. Well, and, and you... now that I'm... no, go ahead. Oh, I just now that I'm doing. I'm doing sober January. It's that I, I I realize it's the first time in years that I've ever been properly sober on stage. And um, you know what? I don't hate it as much as I thought, but I certainly don't prefer it. Like I, yeah. I, I feel a bit more clear headed, but I, I, but for me, that's not necessarily a good thing because when I'm clear headed, I'm thinking like six or seven steps ahead and I'm not in the fucking moment. Yeah. Whereas when I'm, a bit higher, a bit drunk, I can't think that far ahead, so I can only think one step ahead, which is essentially where I fucking am. Well, that's great, like, so the, one of my co-hosts, the girl, I sent a, a photo to you of her, I met her at an open mic, and she broke up with her boyfriend because of, uh, Jigsaw. Excellent. Excellent. And, Good. uh, it, by the way, it's good, it's, I, I bet the messages you get are way worse for the people that broke up because of X. 
but yeah, for way worse reason, for much worse reason. She, uh, she was so I was I. We've had this discussion a few times because she's in that face because she's very new. She's really funny. Like she's really really funny, Chelsea Snedden, and uh, she was talking about how she was afraid to go on stage high, and she's a big pothead though, just like us, like in real life. And my, mm. that's always my philosophy is if you're a pothead in real life, it should, it's not going to change. Like it should do nothing but enhance the stage experience. Cause it's like you said, if you're paranoid when you're high or anything else, that's, it just, it's an enhancement when you get on the stage and mix it with the adrenaline. And I have been trying to tell her, I'm like, you will be on, you will be fine if you go mm. on stage high. I used to always be, I mean, I still have a little bit of the snobbery in me, but I remember, you know, when I was finally getting, like, good at stand-up and was more confident and stuff, people who would get nervous backstage or, like, you know, they're like, hey, I need, you'd be backstage and there'd be, like, seven comedians, and one of them would be like, hey, I'm going to go into the other room and get into my own headspace. And I'm like, what, do you have to practice being yourself? Like, is that is that what you're doing? You need to go into the other room to become more yours you can't be yourself in this fucking room like if if you have to talk to yourself to be, but then again you know i get i get it the weird thing about this fucking job the reason why the public think that they couldn't do what we do and that's what so many people say oh i could never do stand-up i could never do what you do and you're like that's the con is because for whatever fucking reason the number one fear fear in the world isn't spiders it isn't death it isn't plane crashes, it isn't being murdered, it isn't like ghosts or whatever. The number one fear in the world is public speaking. So, like, the majority of people, their biggest fucking thing that they would say no to is to stand up in front of a room full of people and just fucking talk, let alone try to make those people laugh and be funny. So to them, what we do is, just, oh my God, I couldn't do what you do, but, like, man, if you're a fucking narcissist desperate for fucking attention and you love the sound of your own fucking voice you're like man i can't imagine why any of you would be scared of this well and it's it is it's a very strange thing like so a lot of i think people in the general public what i think one of the some of the things they don't understand about our job is in a way it is we're adults who play right mm -hmm. we still use the we still we have a strong creative mind and a strong creative muscle uh, you know, that I think most people are just naturally born with. Your brain works in this certain way, and there are little things that you have to do that people wouldn't understand to, get, like you said, get in the right headspace. Said it perfectly to do this, you have to be a narcissist and everything else, which, to give the audience background, that kind of pulls perfectly into your new special, Socio, which is available right now exclusively on DanielSloss.com for the low, low price of just 25 British pounds. That is Five British pounds, much lower. Way lower. What? Only, yeah, man, cheap as fucking chips. By the way, congratulations. You're now uh, a friend of the show with your second appearance. Uh, so I'm sorry for that. So tell me about Socio. I was had the privilege to be there for the filming. It was an amazing live show to watch, but... Give the audience a little bit of background and what specifically separates it from kind of Jigsaw, Dark, and X. Well, I mean, Socio was originally kind of like Dark, Jigsaw, and Socio were always meant to be like a trilogy together, right? Dark was very much sort of setting up who I am and what my sense of humor is and why it is the way it is. And then Jigsaw was, I mean... Um, I mean, I was just fucking angry and I was out of a toxic relationship and I wanted to fucking scream about it. And then, obviously, because of the the weird cult success of Jigsaw uh, and because, especially when it came out, I was so gleefully celebrating all of the breakups and, like, I was reading all my DMs and I was posting, like, people were breaking up with their partners, they were getting divorced, they were cancelling engagements... And I was just talking about it, and, and you know, as the way fucking news works these days, people picked it up, and then people who didn't watch the show obviously chime in with their opinions, being like, oh, you're a piece of shit. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I understand, like, you know, uh, I understand people thinking, you know, oh, you're breaking these people up. I never broke up a good couple. I never broke up a happy couple. I only ever broke up the ones you're doing... that could be broken up by a fucking... Fucking twenty-something-year-old on stage, arrogantly yelling that he knew everything about the fucking world. So, and I've been called a sociopath before. I know for a fact I'm I'm, I'm not, but I'm like, all right, let's fucking explore this. If everyone thinks I am, <laughs> so sociopath, socio was very much. I mean, it was never called socio originally. It was all. I think it was just called now when I was doing it on tour. 
named it, renamed it Socio for the fucking release. Uh, in the same way that Jigsaw wasn't called Jigsaw when I toured it, it was called um, Stand Up or some shit. Uh, Wait, what? Uh, yeah, yeah. Jigsaw. Well, Wait, because Jigsaw is such a great title for that special because of what it centers, the joke it centers around, kind of how it ties everything all together. It was originally just was... called Stand Up, you lazy piece of shit. Well, because the way it works in the UK is like you, you know, you you write a show for the Fringe, and they want your fr- they want your show title in February, and you don't write the show until June if you're a real comedian. So you know, you gotta be like, "What's the show called?" I'm like, "I don't, I don't even know what it's fucking about." Right, it's called fucking stand up. And then I wrote the show, and it became about that. And then it was just when we were editing it and putting it together for Netflix that I was like, "Oh, this show obviously has to be called Jigsaw." Um. So Socio was very much that, but Netflix, when they picked up Dark and Jigsaw, they only wanted uh, two, which was, I mean, fair enough. I'm not going to fucking complain um, about that. And we were sort of hoping that, you know, after like two or three years, they would then pick that up, add it to the collection. But I was then doing the X tour, and because the X tour was just so draining physically and emotionally and i really wanted to be as far away from that show as fucking possible when it was done like i really wanted to just fucking rid myself of it uh netflix were pretty much like hey man more specials in the future if you want give us two or three years and i was like i need to release this shit now and uh hbo were interested and as a huge fan of stand-up and like growing up and like all of you, you, uh, you know, it's a real, it's a real good uh, company to be in to have a fucking to write a passage. Special. Yeah, that's iconic. It's it's a, it's definitely a different stratosphere in our industry. Oh, it's well, so I, I mean, yeah. So for me, it was like man, it was like a fucking brownie just collecting all the fucking badges at this point. I was, you know, um. So uh, and then X came out on HBO, and then with Socio, it was just there. We we'd. We'd filmed it, um, I'm pretty sure before X. Yeah, I'm pretty sure before X. It was before I was touring X in America. But basically, like we had the show. I, ha- I I hadn't done it for like a year. But we knew that, you know, I was going to forget it because I was going to do X and I would never be able to fucking record it after that. So I went to New York for like four days, like r- r- listened to a show that I'd written three years ago, relearned it did it on stage in New York three times to sort of get it into shape and then went down to Austin to just fucking record it. Um, and then we we decided to film it with the uh, Live Nation uh, who do my tours all over the world and they're great. Um, they were like, we can do something with it. And then, and then it just got to the point where you know, there was so many, you know, there was a huge fucking streamer, boom, all these other streamers opened up. People then started doing the thing that people comedians should have done a long time ago, which was just releasing their own shit on fucking YouTube. Bo Barnum was certainly the first to do it when he did it with uh, fucking Watt. More recently, the success of Mark Norman and uh, Sam Morrill and uh, and even fucking Irish Shavir at this point. Releasing on YouTube was good. And I got to the point where, man, I one of the biggest burdens of my career has been you know, because I would used to write a new show every year, is I just have this fucking back catalogue. I have this back catalogue of shows where people would be like, where can we see this? Where can we see this? I'm like, I, I fucking don't know. And I just so very desperately wanted just all of my shows to fucking be out so that I could move forward with my career. So then last year, I just said, I said, fuck it. Let's buy Socio back from, you know, Live Nation paid for the fucking filming of it. They did everything. Um, if they don't want to do anything with it, and to be honest, I want to I, I just release it on my own fucking website. I want to just have it there in the archive. So bought it back um, and have now sort of released it just as a sort of experiment because I think comedy is going through a very interesting time at the moment where for the first time uh, ever really is, is it's actually kind of becoming a meritocracy. Um, what do you mean by of, that? Well, comedy's always there's always a bit of meritocracy to the comedy industry in that if you are very good at co- and you are very funny, you will naturally rise. You might not rise at a pace that is fair or reasonable, and you might not get to the level you deserve. But if you're good, you will make your way up there. But then you meet the roadblocks in the way, which is you know, 
right, okay, you're good in the circuit. Okay, people fucking like you whenever you're in a fucking comedy club. The next step is television, but you're not in charge of getting yourself in television. Producers who do not spend time in any fucking comedy clubs are in charge of what goes on to fucking television. So then you get to pander to these fucking cunts, and it's abysmal in the UK because it's so common. Within the UK, we've got like four comedy shows, and all of those comedy shows are owned by two agencies, and those two agencies very much want to put their own clients onto their shows so that not only can their clients get more famous, but they can profit off their clients doing these big-ass fucking shows. And that's when it all sort of gets political. So there's so many comedians in the UK who are so fucking funny who have never had the breaks. And it's not because they're not talented, and it's not because they're not better than 95% of the other comedians. It's because they didn't take the right boxes, they weren't with the right management, and they didn't suck the right fucking dick. Whereas now... Thanks to YouTube, thanks to TikTok, thanks to Instagram, thanks to, you know, uh, you know, a friend of mine called Milo McCabe has been doing stand-up for, I'm going to say, 15, almost 20 years now, character act, uh, Troy Hawk. He's so funny, so talented, but networks wouldn't fucking touch him. They're like, we don't want to put a character act doing, like, 15 minutes of stand-up on TV. It's weird. People might not get it. We want to take the fucking risk. This isn't what people like. And we were all like, everyone likes what he does. Like, if you like, Troy is almost unfollowable at a gig. Like, and I say that as a successful comedian, I would struggle to fucking follow Troy after a gig. He now, thanks to TikTok and YouTube, whatever, man, he's fucking viral. He's now selling out his fucking tour because he's got this direct relationship between him and his fucking audience. He doesn't need to go on television to get fucking exposure. He's managed to tap into whatever the fucking algorithm is, got eyes directly on him. And instead of going through some other fucking company to get people to come and see him, he's directly there with his audience. And he's selling out tours in the UK now, which is more than he fucking deserves. And that's exciting. <laughs> so for me, like, don't, man, I can tell you, and I will never, ever complain about the fucking power of, you know, Netflix and HBO. I've seen it firsthand. My career changed essentially overnight because of those shows. Uh, and I'm very, very grateful for that. I... Uh, I the, the system I've just complained about, I absolutely benefited <laughs> from. But that doesn't mean I can't acknowledge that I, you know, I, I, I think it's wrong. I, I used it, I succeeded. I don't think it's fair, but it was unfair in my favour. But I'll still accept that it's not fair. And now, hopefully, I can just have this direct relationship between me and my fucking fans, which is, hey, here's my stuff. If you want it, there it is. It's not going to be edited by some outside fucking company. It's going to, not going to be fucking censored. It's the way I want you to fucking see it. And there's no extra cost on it. Like, I'm, I'm putting out for a fiver because... Well, because I, because I bought it back from Live Nation and I'd like to recoup my costs. Um, but, you know, X is, X is free on my website because I, ju I just think morally X has to be free. I think it would be, uh, you know, for, for, for the show and the, the content of that, I would have felt uh, very dirty if I was profiting off that. People can donate if they want to, but I mean, I just, anyone that watches it, I just encourage them to donate to, donate to uh, women's shelters or uh, survivor clinics or any of those things um, that, you know, I think there's better places for the money to go than, than buying me a second Tesla. <laughs> uh, well, it, but here, I, 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 I've loved everything you just said, and that is absolutely going to be a clip for the old reels because that you've profited off of that system, but the, the fact that you are still aware enough, because I feel like a lot of people, when you're, when you're in the struggle on the climb, you see yeah. and know how corrupt the system is. And, you know, you were saying no matter what, sometimes... And sometimes the cream will have a nice start to arise and then suddenly fall off and burn bridges in their local markets with several comedy clubs. It just happens to some of the greats at times, please, right? <laughs> like, tell me for the love of God, it does sometimes. Yeah, but... yeah, 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 yeah. Very common, very common. And so if there's not people like you who are speaking up about it, it will never change. And you will have tons of great comics who never get an opportunity. So, like, it's... It's rare, but it's what—it's one of the things that I've always loved about you as a person is I've not seen you as a person change since mm. you got the success. So, man, if 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 any fucking comedians want the you know struggling in their career wants the example of how to get better, look 
no further than what Mark Norman and Sam Morrill did during lockdown. Like they were putting out uh, 30 second clips, 40 second clips, two minute clips of their stand up, of their bits just on reels, just on fucking TikToks with the captions. And they were doing this at a time when a lot of comedians, and even myself included, had that sort of looking down the nose of like, oh, why are you, do- oh, why are you doing that? Like, why are you burning material just online? Just. What a what a fucking waste! But if you have the turnover of material that they do and the consistency that you do, then people are like, oh god, well I'm obviously going to see this person, you know, live and the, the and and it, I, it's been really really fucking eye opening. I mean, there is this thing, and it happens so much in comedy, and I'm certainly on the on the better side of it, which is, you know, there are grafters in this job. There are people that fucking really really hustle. And yeah, and and sometimes we don't like to see people hustle because we don't like to see people working as hard, way harder than we work because we think it would be lowering ourselves to do these things. It would be, you know, there was certainly the opinion that, you know, putting your stuff out on TikTok would diminish. You're like, oh, you're putting it on the teenager's fucking app. There was all of that fucking stank. That stank does not exist anymore because people did it and it fucking worked. It changed their careers. And, and, and that's so, so exciting. You know, it's and I was definitely on this side. I was like, man, these it's a waste. I don't know why people are doing this. And now I'm sort of, you know, sitting there going like, oh, God, do I have to do this catch up? Should I be fucking releasing stuff on Reels or a TikTok or, you know. It kind of, I think for some people, it also points out their own insecurities about how hard they work. And so when you see someone putting in the work that you know maybe in your head you should be putting in, but for whatever reason, that mental block, whatever is there for the moment, it kind of makes you kind of shitty. Like they're they're reminding it's, you that you're a piece of shit. It's 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 the poison challenge to two edged sword of this fucking job, which is you know, we try not to care what other people think, but our job is to care what other people think. You cannot do this job and not care what people think because they you want them to laugh. If they don't think you're funny, you're not going to fucking succeed. So you have to care what people think because you have to. If they don't think I'm funny, I'm not a fucking comedian. But at the same time, you've also got to not care what people think. I don't care if you think I'm doing it wrong. I'm going to do it my way. This is my voice. This is my job. This is, you know, my process. This is how I'm going to do it. And it's, you know, and it's really hard to find that balance. And, and if you do find that balance, it doesn't mean you're going to have that balance for your entire career. You know, you you'll might have that balance for two months. You might have that balance for a year. You might experience it once and then never get it a, a, again. It's, um, you know, the, the system is changing uh, and, and it's adapt or die. Like I remember in the UK, um, when I was starting out, when I was like 17, 18, there used to be clubs all around the UK called Jonglers, right? And there was about 50 of these clubs dotted around the UK. And if you were a comedian back in like the 90s, early 2000s, you could make an entire career, uh, an entire job, just doing the same 20 minutes. Uh, at, you know, one week weekend, you would do the London Jonglers. The next weekend, you would do Glasgow. The next weekend, you would do Leeds, Manchester. Every weekend, you would be doing a different fucking comedy club, three different nights a week getting you know enough money for comics make money, and they were just doing the same fucking 20 minutes every single time these comedians didn't change their fucking material for like three or four years and sometimes longer and then they got really pissed off when this younger generation of comedians started coming through in the uk and they would do the fringe every year they would write a new hour every year and it wouldn't just be stand-up, it would be stories, it would be a through art. And all these older comics would be like, oh, look at these fucking young, tight jean. It was always the jean-wearing comics was the slur. <laughs> Floppy-haired, floppy skinny jean-wearing comics. And it was referencing me and fucking, you know, Joe Thomas and Ian Starling and all these comedians. But then all of those comedians surpassed those old-school comedians because those those comedians couldn't write more than 20 minutes a fucking year. They couldn't write more than 20 minutes every fucking five years. And they didn't adapt. And now, you know, they're not successful. Some of the older ones have. Sean Collins is a great example of one of the older generations of comics who now is like, okay, I get TikTok. I'm going to fucking embrace it. If this is the next step, we got to fucking do it. I feel like I certainly was part of, like, the older generation looking down for a while, being like, look at all you fucking tiktok like why why is everyone fucking releasing footage of audience interactions why are they just burning all this shit and then now i'm like oh man like this is these clips are great it's a you know you're not burning material people are seeing your interaction they want to come see you live it's it's currency now too it's yeah and it's fascinating to see how it's how it's changed and i think it's 
I th- I think it is inherently a good thing, and I and I hope TV producers everywhere are fucking shitting themselves. In these generational type things, what do you see as the future? Where do you see the performance side uh, evolving to it, and what kind of you know big changes do you see? Well, I mean, one of the things that's certainly changing at the moment, like, is there's comedy used to always, or especially in the 90s, 80s, 70s in America and the UK, is a bear pit. You know, the comedy store, both comedy stores, UK and America, were fucking bear pits. The whole point you were going on, uh, you know, it was like a rock and roll, dingy, underground fucking vibe. The audience were drunk. They were probably on drugs. And your job was to go on to this bear pit and fucking capture their attention, hold their attention, make them look at you and make them laugh. And don't get me wrong, that inspired generations of, of all of the greats, all of the greats that we look up to came from that process, thriving in that process, learning through that process. Whereas now, that's not comedy audiences anymore. Like, don't get me wrong, there are comedy audiences that are fucking bear pits, but it's not exclusively that. You don't have to be drunk to go see a comedy show. A lot Nowadays, people don't like that. Comedy, sometimes, especially when I do it, you know, it's more theater-like. You get... Uh, you know, audiences, people, introverts are now going out to watch stand-up comedy as opposed to just watching at home. There are, I, I think that fucking generation of, you know, Joe Rogan, like, I've got to go into this fucking club and i got to fucking scream at the audience and make them fucking listen to me, that's going. Because audience is like, why are you yelling? Why are you fucking angry? Like, people don't necessarily want to see angry comedy anymore because the world's so fucking depressing at this point. Sometimes people don't want to see anger. Sometimes they want to see optimism. Sometimes they want to see happiness. And sometimes they just want to be taken away from the reality. Like, I, 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 I think it's very exciting because 20 years ago, people would say, and even 10, five years ago, you would hear a lot of people saying, you know, I don't like stand-up comedy, which to me is people like people saying, I don't like music. I don't like food. I'm like, no, no, but there's something for fucking everyone. But because of the way stand-up was designed on television, how it was promoted on television, you only ever saw one type of comic, so that's what you thought stand-up comic. Very formulaic. Yeah, what is now, like, if man, any person in the world like, it's like, I, I don't like stand-up comedy. Like, if my gran, who doesn't like swearing, who doesn't like rudeness, you know, she would be like, I don't like stand-up comedy. I'm like, watch Brian Reagan. I guarantee you like Brian Reagan. He's funny as fuck, he's clean, he doesn't swear, but he's brilliant. Okay, maybe you don't like normal fucking, maybe you don't like fucking straight white men yelling at an audience. Well, here's a list of amazing female comedians. Here's some fucking sketch groups. Here's some fucking mime comedy. It's all, you know, the, 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 you know, it, it's kind of getting like Ben and Jerry's now. There's just so many different fucking flavors and, and different types. And I think it's, um, I think, I think it's, I think it's a very good thing and very exciting time. Clubs are dying over here. I don't know how they're, how, how are they doing in the UK? Well, I, I, it's, some some are and and some aren't. Like it's obviously COVID affected everything, and, and and some clubs, you know, weren't able to bounce back because, you know, some people then went inside and then realized that they preferred being inside, and because they were inside, Netflix and Disney and everything was suddenly available in your homes. People, lo- you know, lost the desire to go out. In the UK, we've got a cost of living crisis at the moment. Everything's too expensive. The Tories are just destroying the country and. You know, it's been so many years of fucking austerity that people cannot afford to go out to pay into a comedy club to get a fucking drinks to get some fucking babysitters. It's not, you know, uh, viable. So I think, you know, some clubs are adapting um, very well uh, in the sense that they're going, okay, you know, we might not fucking like it that we aren't booking our personal favorite comedians. We have to acknowledge that this comedian has a large following, and if we have them at our show, more people will come and. You know, it, it, it's sort of, you know, uh, releasing a power because, again, they used to hold the power. We decide who headlines, we decide who's popular. And it's like, oh, no, 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 no. The masses are now deciding who's popular and the masses are now deciding what they want to come uh, and, and see. And, and, and either you can let me and my audience into your venue or I can go to any other fucking venue and they can get the fucking bar sales. They can get the fucking, you know, uh, the percentage. Um, I mean, I, I really hope I really hope comedy club comedy does not die. I think it's so important. I think it's so fun. And I always loved, I always, I always love audience members that just go to comedy clubs. 
Like, just people that just, go, you know, I think it's great to go and see your favorite comedian and go fucking support them. Please keep doing that. But, like, you know, there are people who are just like, yeah, I'm just going to go down. I'm going to see what's on. Like, I am going to take the fucking gamble. And you know what? Sometimes it's shit. And then sometimes I, I discover something new. And people, you know, I, I hope those people still exist, that they get excited about finding something they never thought they'd seen before, you know, being, you know, seeing someone before they get famous and before they get fucking huge and, um, but, but I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, who fucking knows, you know, the, the, I mean, it's not just the UK, I understand in America as well. Like, I mean, the poor are poorer than they've ever been, man. Like the working classes are. So, and, and here's the thing, comedy is working class art, right? It's, it's one of the true, true, apart from like fucking poetry, like it's true working class art by working class people modern arts can be but it's mostly well, fucking wanky no people. It's, our art form is punching and nobody wants to see somebody punch down nobody wants to listen to a rich guy because stand-up is a lot of expressing your frustrations with your viewpoint on the world so it's yeah it's it's, yeah. it's much it's again why i have kept my career at where it is is because i don't want to lose that perspective so i stay poor so that uh, my art yeah. is better. Yeah, yeah. And well, man, I, 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 man, I think it's because nobody wants, to, nobody wants to perform to a room full of fucking rich people. I don't want to, I don't want to gig to a bunch of fucking millionaires. I don't fucking laugh about anything. You want to gig to real human beings, real people who suffer, who are going, who need the fucking release, who need to laugh at something horrible, who need to laugh at something jaded or, or bitter or silly in the form of. Es escapism and i think the problem is you know with comedy clubs trying to stay alive you know they've got well they don't have to up the prices they choose to up the prices and it's like man you cannot do not do not outprice the people who this art form is for like it's it's an insane thing to uh to do uh j just for the rest of this interview switch to uh gin and tonic mm -hmm. you're a little gassy Which Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, drinking anything. Uh, so, do you think, because uh, we were talking about kind of the evolution of performing now, I've seen a couple of comedians. Uh, my friend, I think Brinter Hune actually did this recently. Uh, I think he did a show in the metaverse or whatever, some version of that. And are you familiar with the metaverse? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I, I know all that. Yeah. So, do you see that? As being a potential, if they can get the technology to where it could genuinely look like you're in a comedy club, and people aren't avatars, but people are more realistic-looking versions of themselves, at some point in time, because think about it, Co, if we, if you could get to a point where the gear that you would be wearing while you're performing isn't hindering, you know, so you don't feel like you're wearing a suit, feels very natural, and you could go into this sort of digital comedy club. Well, you've you've done theaters for thousands. What about a theater where there's no seat limit? That could become no. No, you think the the not no. Because I think from an audience perspective, it's not it's it's not the same. I th don't be wrong. I think there will be part of the population, the introverts, who love the idea of that because you know for them, you know, they are in the safety of their own home. They don't have to interact with. There's no danger of the person beside you being like, "Hey, how are you?" You know the way fucking drunks do occasionally, but man, the reason why comedy will never work in the metaverse is the same reason why it's not safe to go on a megal, because when people are granted the power of anonymity, they will be pieces of shit. That is part of human nature. If you don't know who I am and there's no consequences to my actions, I'm gonna do and say whatever the fuck I want. So people will go with it. It's my you. You could have fifty fucking people who genuinely want to watch the comedian in the metaverse. All it takes is a bunch of people being like, hey, look at those 50 people having fun. I'm going to ruin that. Boom. Why? Because they don't know who I am and they're so good. And they would come in and they'd just have their, their, they'd be a dick avatar or they'd fucking heckle or it. And it wouldn't be the same. What if you I could, think... what if you could silence that? What if you could it's... set your settings to not hear any other users? Well, then, they, oh, then that would be gross, man. Like Taking the, out the, the, the actual, like, human yeah, element, yeah, the human element. Like, you've got to, the laughter in the room is, is part of the fucking comedy club. It's the wave, you know. You have to be able to hear the people around you laugh. Otherwise, you know, I mean, I know Americans are 
much better at laughing as individuals than the UK are. But I even think in that scenario, like, uh, you you get caught up in the atmosphere of it, and also as the comedian, you, it, I don't think it would be, I don't think it would ever feel like real performing. I think it would be like I don't know if you ever did fucking Zoom gigs during lockdown. I only did one, and it was dog shit. It was fucking no, it's horrible. It was horrible, and that and. And and you know how I know they're horrible because since lockdown ended, there's not been a second. <laughs> they the second lot nobody ever ever did a fucking Zoom gig ever again. I can confidently say that a Zoom gig has not taken place in the last eighteen fucking months. What if? Okay, so hear me out. What if it's it's a regular club show, right? But you install special cameras throughout the club. So that people can then virtually watch a real show in a real environment, but they don't interact and you're not interacting with them. You're interacting with your live audience. So it's basically like doing a live television show, but the exception of people would buy an individual ticket for that event and for that. So every time you do a show, you can have a little setup where you put the three cameras up and then people go onto your website. It's just additional income. Man, I reckon that I reckon that could work. You know, as long as as long as they were, you know, you you don't hear their fucking laughs or whatever. As long as you know they're in the perspective of sitting in an audience, and they get the audio of the comedian and the audience. Yeah, I think that for a lot of people would be an enjoyable experience and a good alternative. But as somebody who loves live comedy, I would never, I would never watch comedy that way. Not me either. I don't know why I'm selling so hard. Like trying to sell you so hard on this idea, I have no idea. Like I have, I don't have the technology or the concept to make this happen. But I feel like I'm really pushing it. So, uh, what's been the biggest impact on either your career or your personal life from the fame? Like, what's the biggest differences you've noticed in your life as a performer or just as a person from before and after? Um. Well, I mean, fucking fame made, well, air quotes fame, um, made me lose myself for two or three years and not in, like, a good way. Like, I think uh, it's it's just such a, it's famous fame, again, air quotes fame, is such an obscure thing. It only exists in other people's heads. It's this arbitrary concept that's only made true by other people. Like if you if you think I'm famous, I'm famous. But if you've never heard of me, I'm not. None but, of the power, not, none of the power comes from me. Well, but it like, can it can be it can be kind of that because okay, so that you're right on an individual perspective basis. But the difference is, if we took the people who said that you're famous and put them in a room, and we put the people that said I'm famous. We could put them in a closet, not even a walk-in, yeah, yeah. just a broom closet. Leave, leave all the cleaning supplies in. We'll have plenty of room. We'll get them in. Where so there, there is a certain level of it. And yeah, yeah, yeah. But I got, I guarantee all the people, in, all the people in my room who think I'm famous are outnumbered by ninety-nine point nine percent of the rest of the population. Of the, the world population. World. Oh, I'm so fucking sorry. But no. I, dude. We we met working a club that sat about two hundred and fifty people. Yeah, but and a couple of nights we weren't even full. And three years later, I was watching you go up in front of thousands night after night. With you were waiting hours comedy. not to shoot you, but to just tell you how great you are. But comedy comedy fame is such an obscure and weird type of fame. It's not like television or movie fame where you don't have to have watched any fucking Brad Pitt movie to know who fucking Brad Pitt is, right? You don't ever have had to have watched The Wire or The Sopranos to have heard about these shows. They're just out there in the culture. They're, they're, they're known about uh, musicians. You could, Man, you could fucking hate a musician and you would know three or four other fucking songs um, because of, of, you know, people watch movies, people watch TV shows and people listen to music. I'm going to say at most, at absolute fucking most, 15% of the world watches stand-up comedy, right? Mm -hmm. It's not the most popular thing. It's not the most popular fucking art for not by a fucking long shot. So even if, if you're the most famous comedian in the world, 
you are still only famous to 15 fucking percent of the world. Man, go around America, go around the UK, walk down any fucking street and ask people who Bill Hicks is. And I bet you, as a comedy fan, you'll be fucking devastated. Ask, ask, people, ask people in the UK who Bill Burr is. They won't be Whoa, able to Bill know, Burr? People, no, man, people don't know who fucking Dave Chappelle is. If they don't watch comedy, how the fuck would you know who well, these people are? People know who Joe Rogan is because Joe Rogan's not a comedian. Well, but don't you Joe think... Rogan is a UFC, but... <laughs> is a television host and a UFC commentator, the greatest UFC commentator of all time, and, the th- and a podcast host, and the fourth thing he is is a comedian. Because of what fame does to you and what success does to you is it isolates you um, in the sense that, you know, after Netflix, I toured relentlessly for 18 months. And every single fucking day, I was going to a new town, to a new city, to a new country to perform to a room full of people who fucking adored me. And at the time, I was like, oh, man, I'm huge. I'm fucking massive. Like, oh, Jesus Christ, what an unbelievably massive comedian I am. And then you walk out of the comedy club, which there are anywhere between 1,000 and 3,000 people in. And then you walk into a city of half a million people, a million fucking people, and you're like, 0.01% of this one city was in that fucking room. And when you're off tour, when you when you st- take a step back from being Daniel Sloss and you just go back to being fucking Daniel. Like, man, I occasionally get recognized in the UK, but it's not fucking... He was like one of the most joyously humbling experiences uh, of of my recent life. It, it, it's in fatherhood, which is like, man, there is no crossover of people who are new parents and to people who watch my fucking stand up. And I know this because I take my son to like messy play. I take my son to <laughs> swimming lessons. I take all, all these things where he's interacting with other babies. And because he's interacting with other babies, I'm interacting with other parents. And none of these people give a fucking shit. They have no idea who I am. Like, the we, we were in swimming the other day. And... Um, you know, I'm the only I'm I'm the only dad that regularly attends swimming because all other dads have real jobs, so they're away during the day. Like the 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 mum is on maternity leave, so she's the one that's doing it. I'm the dad in the class, and they all they're all looking at Kara as if she's the fucking sugar mama. They're like, oh, what is what does she do? And I'm like, no, 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 it's me. I'm, You're a trophy I, husband. Man, one of them was like, what do you do for a living? And I'm like, a comedian. And she was like, oh. And, and she was like, <laughs> the most that, dismissive. Money? Oh. And I'm like, well, I mean, depends who you are. But for me, yeah, fucking heaps, oh. man. Like, I, the, the thing I've learned certainly in the past 18 months is I am, I, man, I was getting high on my own supply. I am nowhere near as fucking famous as I thought I was three years ago because... Life slowed down, uh, and it's, it's going to be, I'm not complaining, man. I love the level I'm at. I think it's, you know, what a, I'm not harassed. Like you only know me if you know comedy. So it's like there's I don't annoy people. I'm not like a fucking actor who you hate, and you whenever they're in something they ruin that TV show for you. I'm not like a singer who when you're driving the car my song comes on and you're like I fucking hate this song and if you were to see that singer in the street you'd be like I fucking hate you you only know my comedy if you went out of your way to watch my fucking comedy like it's you know the amount of times I'll be in a fucking restaurant right and one person one person whether it be the fucking waiter whether it be someone at the other table will come up to me and go I'm sorry to do this so you Daniel Sloss and I'll go yeah 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 and we'll take a poll we'll have a conversation do everything and then all the other tables are looking at me like, are you famous? And I'm like, no, because none of you know who I am. So that, so, so objectively, no, I'm not famous. You could also tell them I'm a best-selling fucking author, you piece of shit. Barely an author. I'm a comedian who gave up a bash. I know I saw you fucking suck up. Ah, yeah, well, I, 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 I guess my signed copy, it got lost in the mail, so I went to Barnes oh, & Noble I and I got one. I yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're a new father, right? I can't yeah. wait for like three fucking years from now when you're a dad. I, I'm gonna. I. What color, uh, Lacoste shirt do you want for that day? I'm never. You can look. I can get. I. I. I'll never get into Lacoste. It's. 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 Hey, make. Be thankful that I've gone into. I've gone into. I've gone into shoes. I've gone into fucking sneaks. I'm now a Jordan fan and stuff like that. But I'll never go near. Do you go I'll the? I'll never go near Lacoste. Uh, do you go like the custom? Uh, Jordans, or do you just get like the, like the actual 
ones from you know whatever the year. Uh, yeah, I mean, at the moment, like I, 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 in, I bought my first pair of Jordans in September, and then since then, I've bought like fucking, I'm gonna say, twelve pairs of shoes, because <laughs> uh, I, you know, because I'm having a midlife crisis, and I love, I, you know, I love the different types. So I mean, man, I'm just buying the fucking classic, do you wear them? Classics. Yeah, absolutely. Any cunt that doesn't wear their fucking shoes is a piece of shit. How fucking dare you not wear your sneakers? They're there to be worn. But don't get me wrong, I am I am an asshole that cleans them after I wear them. The true sneakerheads, they have, they have like they're not, hundreds. If you don't fucking wear the fucking shoes, you're not a true fucking sneakerhead. And I say that as somebody who's been a sneakerhead for four months, so I'm allowed to gatekeep. Um, like for me, no man. I bought I bought a pair of the uh, the the and, and I and I didn't get them when they came out. I bought them on fucking re- resale. I got the uh, the Chicago ones, uh, the Lost and Founds, I bought those, the, the original Michael Jordan ones. Uh, I, the first thing I did when I got those was I stuck them on my feet. Uh, I'm desperate to get the the uh, Armani Air fucking Jordans. I've not treated myself to those yet. And this man, there's, like Adidas used to, I mean, used to still do. Adidas have a limited edition South Park fucking series of shoes. And they've got a pair of, they've got towel-y shoes. And they look like Tally, they're made of towel, and he's got two stoner eyes. And when you take him out to UV light, the eyes become red like he smoked fucking weed. I love him. I absolutely fucking love him. I got a pair of I got a pair of flaming mo Adidas as in From like, the Simpsons? Absolutely I do. I got uh um, I got the fucking why so sad dunks. I'm desperate for the fucking Wait. lobster concept. I thought you didn't like I, the Simpsons. Fuck off! Who doesn't like The Simpsons? I thought you told me you didn't it's like Futurama. The... It's Futurama. Uh... I don't particular, and I don't. Well, I who don't the hate... fuck doesn't like Futurama? Well, no, I just Futurama came out and people were like, it's better than Simpsons, and it was like, all right, let's all calm the fuck down, right? Let's all just because the fucking dog episode made you cry doesn't suddenly make it the greatest fucking bit of television. Grow the fuck. What? It's a good team. I think there was just this fucking. It's because of the Simpsons wanky. exhaustion at the time. Like it was literally, it was something Simpsons related, but it was new yeah. Simpsons. So anyone who was having it's, kind of Simpsons exhaustion was. It's like on people it. who preferred American Dad to Family Guy. Oh, get fuck the fuck off. out of here! Yeah. Fuck off and stop trying to be different. You're just that's that's not your real opinion. You're just having that opinion to go against the fucking grain. All right, buddy. Thank you so much for your time. I'll see you in a year. <laughs> All right, love you, buddy. Love you too. Hey, if you didn't think this podcast was funny, what? Huh? Comedy is subjective.